2: Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're glad that you chose to spend some time with us today. Glad that you joined us on this Wednesday afternoon. How are you, my friend? Super tired. <laughs> Every day. We're just going to get that in a loop. Yeah. I don't even need to be here for that response. Super tired. Super tired. Uh, I, I've, I, you ever have those moments where you realize uh, uh, your priorities are off? And all the time. For me, <laughs> Constantly. super tired all the time. <laughs> for me, I had one of those moments yesterday and when the sadness of my favorite football team trading away my son's favorite football player right. became like such a it like ruined my night. Oh really? And it ruined his night. And then I realized I'm a bad parent because I made him care so much. So is it because you watched, you watched how much it affected him? You're like, oh, wait a minute. Or vice versa. He watched how much it affected me. So huge <laughs> New York Giants fan. They trade Odell Beckham. My son's yes. got his, you know, poster up on his wall. They traded him with the Browns last night. And my son was so crestfallen. <laughs> but how is he today, though? Bouncing back. Yeah. <laughs> to me, an evening of crestfallen. Let's put it this way. He's better than I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Do you want to talk where, about that? Well, that's where I just realized I care about sports entirely. too. I have these moments where, like, I'm like, why do I care about that so much? And I don't know what that is in your life. For me, it's sports with very specific teams. and We should talk G- about this another time. The New York Giants I are one of I think that's interesting.
3: I think that's, honestly, I might defend you feeling that way, though. To It'll be ruin
2: my day. It's the New York Giants in football, the New York Mets in baseball. And if they, things go bad, it ruins my day. Just, I'm done. To the point that you're like sour to other people? Yeah, my wife was not thrilled with <laughs> me last night. Because I kept checking Twitter to be like, what, what's everyone saying about this? And she's like, uh, okay. can you help me? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm there. Totally. She's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Nothing. I'm like, I'm embarrassed.
1: Got <laughs>
2: <laughs> embarrassed to say. <laughs> grace, grace abounds, man. Grace it was, abounds. It was one of these evenings. So I'm I'm getting there. I'm getting better. I'll pray for you. We call this first world problems. Yeah, no kidding.
3: <laughs> it maybe need a
2: new category. There you go. So, so another uh, big story yesterday that uh-huh. broke is just crazy. And I'm trying to get my mind around it. Uh, New York Times titles it this way, actresses, business leaders, and other wealthy parents charged in U.S. college entry fraud. A teenage girl who didn't play soccer uh, <laughs> was called to be a soccer recruit, so they paid all this money to the soccer coaches. So yeah. basically, I watched it on the Today Show this morning. Basically, there's this one guy who was running an operation where it kind of, you know, the promise was, I'll help your kid get into these good schools. Right. And and the, the kind of the front for it was... Uh, it'll be college test prep. But every this guy was doing everything. He was paying off coaches Ugh. to pretend that they were on the rowing team when they'd never rowed before. He was paying people to to pay off proctors so other people could take their SATs. Oh, jeez. All of this stuff. And it's just so messy, man, because it was not just a wealthy, but it was some well-known, right? It was Aunt Becky from Full House. I know. <laughs> so heartbreaking. Or who was it? Felicity Huffman from... Uh, from Desperate Housewives, who's married to William H. Macy, and oh, I didn't uh, even know
3: that name That's... oh
2: yeah, 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 you'd recognize them if you saw them, and mm. so it was their kids and like these these business leaders, and it's so wild because for one of them, they spent over two hundred thousand dollars to get their kid in school i'm like That's more than you're going to pay for the kid to go to school. Yeah, right. It's crazy. And I don't know. It was it's like everything wrong with not just parenting, but also like money and wealth and power and the advantages that brings in our culture. Yep. And then you start reading other articles about kind of the shadiness that goes on and kind of the college admissions process. And you just get like it's another time where I'm like, man, our culture is just it's a it's just kind of going to hell. <laughs> like it's going crazy. You <laughs> can tell you're trying to avoid I saying don't know it that
3: how way. else to put
2: it? <laughs> Am I allowed to say that on Eleven Sixty? Yeah, you just did, man. It, it's just go. like it, it's like everything wrong with our culture, and like, it feels like we have a story a day where there's another thing where you just go, oh. That's so crazy. So I don't know how you felt when you read the story. Not good. <laughs> not not I, I do not do well with these kinds of stories. No, I mean, just even, not.
3: you know, and I included a couple other links. So I'm reading like three or four different articles about this particular story and just things like wired to hundred thousand dollars to a special account, yep. you know, not, to, not to tie it directly to the church, but like anytime, I just feel like every time I see the phrase special account, like what follows is not good. And I, maybe this is naive, Maybe this is just too overly optimistic. I'm really, really tired of how powerful the almighty dollar is, particularly in areas of morality. Absolutely. To just straight up say, yep, she totally is on our rowing team when she absolutely <laughs> does not. I just have, I don't know, I have more hope in humanity than that. I, like, somebody less might say, hey, Right, right. But I'm just, I'm. And maybe, and this is the thing, you know, like if it bleeds, it leads, right? So if it's dramatic and terrible, that's what's making the headlines. It doesn't include maybe the coaches that turn the money down. I have no idea. I have no idea how many people turn down the money because their morals are more important to them. All I have staring me in black and white here are the people that accepted it. And it, yeah, it's not just, it's not just the frustration with the people that accepted it. It is, for me, the heart posture of the wealthy and powerful that believes they're untouchable. Yes. Right. If I have enough, I can do whatever I want, yeah. and it's that hubris that I find so heartbreaking. Because I know a number of really wealthy people who are incredibly humble, absolutely, and so generous, and you would actually probably never even know it unless they told you. Yes. They they live in humble home, and I'm not saying you know live in whatever home you want, but yep. like on the surface, you just never tell. And I read stories like this, and I think what. Is the why does money so completely corrupt some people, and other people are able to rise above it and do really great things with their wealth? Like I'm just, I'm really fascinated by
2: why these outcomes sometimes seem so different. And this guy, uh, his name is William Singer. He was paid about 25 million dollars from 2011 (laughs) until 2019 to bribe coaches and university administrators to designate their children as recruited athletes which effectively ensured their admission. Like, literally, it's not like they were bad athletes. They were not athletes. They didn't play the sports they were admitted for. And he also, it said, uh, he shared about how he uh, would bribe test proctors, the SATs and the ACTs to falsify results. And there's so many things that bother me about this story, but it is a reminder, again, like you just touched on, that, A... Money and power can get you things that you do not deserve that other people can't do. Yeah, Don't right. forget, for every kid that was admitted to these schools under these false pretenses, another kid likely wasn't admitted yeah, to the right, school right, right, right. who was more deserving. But secondly, what are these parents teaching their kids? Hey, little Johnny, pretend you play soccer. <laughs> what, what in the world? And these people are teaching their kids that is just going to now perpetuate itself into the next generation. I find these stories so infuriating, and it's just like... Not only are culture broken, but it's just going to become more broken because we're just kind of teaching these lessons as we go. So, I'm
3: not, and I'm not naive to the fact that like schools take money to yep. run. Like yep. I, I do totally get that. I just, I don't know. Not to turn it inward. I, I, like, I, I hope that there's a um, a compass in each of us that's strong enough to note that while I do have a mortgage and I do have miles to feed, it's not worth my integrity. There you Wh- go. Whatever that, like, <laughs> I mean, no one's offering to bribe me. For college admission, so that's not even my universe, so it's easy for me to maybe cast stones, which I think in this case is appropriate. Yes. But like what are the small microwaves that I'm tempted to like compromise simply because it's better for my persona or my career? Like I always want to be mindful to like check those things in my own heart because none of us are immune. Like we're all susceptible to this temptation. and maybe it's not dollars, maybe it's platform, maybe it's yep. prestige, maybe it's recognition that you know. Uh, if that's the thing that kind of trips your trigger you you'll be willing to do anything to get there and I think that's always a haunting but realistic thing to to be mindful of
2: yeah over and over again we just do stories where we are reminded of the biblical truth that money the love of money and the the, the love of power uh is a is an antichrist it is a non-jesus way to go yeah, right uh, and it's so disturbing so uh well coming up next on the common good you and I get to go from the heavy and the sad there to To one of the happiest people we know, right? One of the happiest people we know. We're going to be joined by Dan Frio, somebody you hear on this station often. But we're not going to talk just about mortgages and stuff. We're instead going to get to know the man behind the commercials and behind everything He's got a crazy story, too. It's an awesome story. So uh, we hope coming up next you'll stay around to listen to Dan Frio. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope For Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined, as always, by Ian Simpkins. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, online at 1160hope.com. There you can find old shows, podcasts, uh, and you can find us all at uh, iTunes and all other places you find your podcasts. That's right. And yesterday we started having the ability to text. That's right. So you isn't that like we made it, man. <laughs> we we made, made
3: it. We made it. To the late nineteen nineties.
2: You, right. <laughs> you and I got shirts today. We got slag, <laughs> and now we got texting. <laughs> six eight six eight three. That's six eight six eight three. Then type in CG and your comment, your question. You know, an observation. Like yesterday we said you could ask Ian his favorite color, whatever it yeah, is. Yeah,
3: groundbreaking questions like you that. Want right. to have.
2: So, Ian, when we started this show, one of the first people we met, uh, and we were told when we started this show, like, there's a guy who was, like, invested. not fin- Well, financially, but that's yeah. not what was meant. Like, he's behind the station, yes. behind the show. A guy by the name of Dan Frio. And we, we constantly, you, you hear, if you listen to the show at all, you hear us do the Daily Mortgage Update with Dan Frio. Uh, right now... The man is in our studio. The man, the myth, the legend. Dan no for no you.
4: drum roll. <laughs> <something>. <laughs> so, Dan, we're,
3: He's we're looking weird. at the producer. Dan. He's no, looking nothing. at him. Nothing. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> we'll
2: do matters. better next time. <laughs> uh, let me give you just uh, some of the ways you can reach Dan. Uh, you can reach Dan by phone at 630 338 630-338-1160. Three, uh, 630-338-1160. Or visit his website at 1160mortgage.com. And what we always like to say is when you call that number, uh, you don't get like just some, uh, you know, some telemarketer or somebody on the phone. You get Dan. So he will talk to you. And if you leave a message, he'll call you back. Yep. (laughs) And uh, we love the partnership, man. So it's really fun and, and uh we've laughed a lot with you. It's been a lot of fun, so yeah. welcome welcome in the studio. <laughs> Thanks
4: for having me back.
2: The last I think the
4: last time I was here, you guys I think it was like week one or something like yeah, that. I think right. it was day right. one. Yeah. And you guys were a little more timid than you were today.
3: We probably seemed like scared children yeah. last time you were here. It was it was kinda you could tell. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's
4: yeah. like that kid's first day of school at that school he's never gone to. <laughs> right. I'm like, right. mm, okay, you're just trying to trying your best to fit in. Right. You guys fit in awesome. <laughs> uh, walls. Thanks, I really got to say so.
2: Those walls have broken down a bit. So, yeah. the, Dan, the goal today yeah. is not so much to get people to talk to them about mortgages and stuff, sure. but we just want people to get to know you. Yeah. Because if they know you personally, then they are more likely to, you know, call you when they're in need of a mortgage or yeah. they have a house question or whatever else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so why don't you just give us again for people who never heard you before? What are just kind of your particulars? Where do you live, and particularly what do you do? What is it that you do? Uh, why is it that you're on the station often?
4: Okay, so that it's kind of a that's a wide open question. Right. Let me <laughs> tell you yeah, where. Is. So I live in St. Charles, Illinois. Okay, and my office is in Geneva, Illinois. And I've lived out there for about twenty years. I'm originally from. I don't know how far back you want me to go yeah, to tell about myself. All so let's go back to. And again, thanks, thanks for the platform. I, yeah, it's absolutely. greatly, greatly appreciated. So you hear me every day about mortgages, but uh, you know, I I do have a passion for what I do, and there's a reason behind it. Yeah. Um, I grew up in a small little town in West Virginia. You don't know what you would never had. I mm. guess is the best way to put it. So I graduated from West Virginia University with a degree in economics and I moved, my goal was to, I wanted to get on like Wall Street or be a trader or something like that. So those aspirations, the furthest west I've ever was at that point was Cleveland, Ohio. (laughs) So when I went past (laughs) Cleveland, I bought, I had uh, about 1500 bucks. I bought a car and I threw everything in my car Wow! and I'm driving past Cleveland (laughs) and it was like. Ooh
2: boy!
1: <laughs>
4: so honestly, no I, offense to Cleveland, yeah. Ohio. Yeah. No,
2: but... no, no, no. Yeah,
4: no. I actually started crying right there in Whoa. the car. No kidding. I was. It was basically. You're from a small little town in West Virginia, right, no. dude? I didn't know w- what's out there, right? I never really went anywhere. Hmm. You know, we didn't. Have, my dad worked in the steel mills. We didn't really have anything. Hmm. So, um, to make a long story short, I I got to uh, Chicago. Okay. And there was a, a gentleman that he's my brother-in-law's cousin. You don't have to follow along with that if yep. you don't want to. But um, <laughs> he actually brought me in, and I couldn't get a job in the financial industries. At all? No. Wow. I actually went all the way up the food chain at Merle Lynch, and I still have the guy's business card oh, to uh, this day. No kidding. He said, son, I, I love you know the way you present yourself, who you are, what you are. But you have no experience," mm-hmm. he said. "Go sell pots and pans for a year, and if you succeed, you come back here, and I will hire you personally on the spot. No kidding. So I, I need a job because I'm engaged to a, a woman that I've been married to in a month will be thirty years. Wow! And I've been dating her since I was fifteen. Wow! So,
3: congrats, man.
4: So, and you, you know. You're from West Virginia and you date that girl from... She's not my sister, yeah. Okay, if, you, say, if
3: you're asking.
4: They,
2: in West, Virginia, so, they, in West yeah. Virginia, they call that getting married late. Yeah,
4: we were late bloomers. Yeah. So, um, so long story short, he helped me get a job at some high finance company yeah. and I was a collector. Oh. Um, Okay, so then I I did that for about a year and then it was like, okay, time to move on. So then I Mm. moved to a mortgage company. I was there for 17 years, became vice president. Wow. I moved off and started my own company in Oakbrook. I was there for about six, seven years and I'm missing life. Yeah, I'm missing my son's soccer game, my my other son's football game. My daughter to this day, you know, gets on me because I didn't help her Mm. uh, learn how to ride her first bike. Mm. So you know, deja vu kind of hits in.
3: Yeah, no kidding.
4: At that time, basically that time. Now I'm at that point, I'm in my late thirties and I'm not gloating, but I have millions.
3: Mm. So you're doing okay for yourself. Yeah. Yeah.
4: And, but if you knew me, then you knew I had millions because I, it was me. Okay. Mm. It was me. I'm the man. You know, I right. I did this. It's right. me, not my family, not my wife, not my kids, not mm. my friends. It's Dan. I'm I'm just the man. Mm. Um, so when the crash hit, I always say the world ended in two thousand six to eight. That was basically almost the same time I opened my own company. Oh, oh gosh, wow. my life basically ended. Wow. Um, I lost millions in wow. a tune of six to twelve months. Um and my wife came to me at one point and said, you know, we need you or we're leaving you. Wow.
3: She so, she said that to your face. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Wow. And I get
3: it. I yeah. get it now.
4: Yeah. Um so it got me to a doctor. Mm. It got me into a church. Wow. It got me into a Bible study. Yep. It got me baptized and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Wow. You know, when they say it brings you to your knees, I, dude, I was in my knees. Mm. I mean, I remember I was at a park bench with my wife uh, during that time, and I went from four to six homes, Mercedes and Escalade, this to that, to almost homeless. Wow. And just crying at the park bench. So, brings me on to now. Mm. I've was reborn yeah um so when you you call me, I talk to you yeah right. i don't care if you're behind on your mortgage i don't care if you're in bankruptcy i don't care if you're whatever your situation is trust me i'll listen yeah mm. so I, i'm not in this i've done it for thirty one years now um i I, I want to help you yeah I do it for a living that's how I make money mm but I'm here to help. That's, That's awesome. awesome. So I know we're running short on time, so no, I can in, leave it.
2: In fact, if you're good with it, we're going to hold you over for another segment. Just, sure. Yeah. I think one thing we love to talk about on the show is not just, you know, we're not trying to get people to buy mortgages or whatever. Oh, absolutely. What we want is people to hear these stories of someone who hit rock bottom, yeah, right. kind of got perspective, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. you know life in christ like i think there's yeah. so much to talk about the next there. segment i'll bring you back up Well, down right now stick god around is good, let's god it. is good so that's stick so good. around uh coming up in the common good we're going to keep talking to dan frio uh and hear this story that so many of us struggle with right the ups yeah. and the downs yeah, of life right. that are sometimes subtle but sometimes extreme yeah that's what's coming up next on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can also text us now. You can text us at 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG for The Common Good. And then you can write your comments, your questions, whatever else you might have. Uh, We're holding over from last segment. We're spending time with Dan Frio. If you listen at all to this station, you recognize Dan's voice because he's on here all the time. And he's kind of giving us his background story. Oftentimes you just hear him talking about, Hey, if you need help with a mortgage, give me a call. But there's such a powerful story uh, behind there. So let me give you Dan stuff. And then we're going to jump back into his story. Uh, If you want to call and see if Dan can help you buy a home or get a better mortgage, you can call 630-338-1160. That's 630-338-1160. And as we always say, if you call that number, you're going to talk directly to Dan. Or you can visit his website at 1160mortgage.com. That's 1160mortgage.com.
3: Yeah, and Dan, I, I just want to say, first and yeah. foremost, thanks for being here, man. Thanks, yeah, thanks, for, thanks
2: like, for having like, me. In general, yeah. this is just anecdotal, but I I just think,
3: as a person, you're just a great hang. Like you're just, If anyone has ever been around you, are like, man, I want to be around that guy. Like, I, thanks. It's a really you have a Now they know where I live. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, the geofence is narrowed <laughs> for sure. Okay, so but earlier, so you're talking about yeah. a story that, um, I mean, most of us have have had ups and downs, but not a lot of us have gone from having millions yeah. to having next to nothing in the course of a year. Yeah. And and you kind of teased it a little bit. So like in the midst of this crash, both like economically and personally, yeah. you you also had this crisis at home yeah. and you're like introduced to this faith component that all, all seems to sort of be happening together. Can yeah. you just take us a, a little deeper into what's yeah. happening in your heart and head when you're losing all this money, Your your yeah. wife is having... Like an incredibly hard conversation. Like, hey, if if we don't get you, we're out, we're done. Yeah, yeah. And someone's like, Okay, just give this church thing a try. Like, what yeah. what was going on in hey, all
2: that? Here's
4: the funny thing that would happen is this is at this time is exactly the same time that I was introduced to AM eleven sixty. No kidding. Okay. A, wow. a gentleman retired and he's he was a mortgage guy on the station for twenty years. Okay. He found me, thank God. Yeah. yeah he came to my office looking for a job right before he retired. Hmm. And he came in, he worked about six months. He was bipolar. He was, he was having some issues at the time. And then he said to me, you know what? I I just can't do this anymore. You want to take over this Christian stuff that I'm doing. He said, I've been doing it for 20 years. It, It draws in good business. It's a, it's a good business model. And I said, yeah, I'll try it. So, for the first six months, and now things are crashing fast right. around me. Right. So I'm thinking, you know, whatever. Yeah, mm. I'll give this a whirl. Yeah, sure. What's the worst so, thing that could happen? Yeah. <laughs> so I started advertising on AM 1160. Everybody that would call asked me, are you a believer? Mm. Wow. Where do you go to church? I would circumvent, as a sales guy does, <laughs> the conversation, like a good politician. Yes. <laughs> I never wanted to answer that question because right. I wasn't going to church. Right. I was a he I mean, I was in dark days. Yeah, right. So, huh. I was like, you know, I got to I got to check this thing out. So I I went to Christ Community Church in St. Charles. And man, I walked in, dude, it was like I I didn't miss church for 2 years. Wow. No. I mean, it, it, sorry, I take summer sabbaticals now <laughs> right, and stuff like that. Sure, but, sure. <laughs> but I I mean, I I joined a Bible study. I mean, it was just like, wow, this is crazy. All of a sudden, this was about six or eight months into the advertising. Mm. advertising wasn 't working
3: mm.
4: all of a sudden, I get a call, then another call, another mm. call, then another call, then another call and the call a call. Now business is starting to pick up. I joined the bible study i did. it was just it was crazy, so wow. then finally it came, and i 'm like, okay, they came to me and asked me to do some more advertising. I said okay i 'm going to put all my eggs in this basket wow. i 'm not going to do any other
3: marketing. I am in." You're mister AM A1160. Yes, I am.
4: And I've been I think it's 13 years or something wow, I've been that's on awesome. here. I did it, I'm in. Hmm. Dude, I'm in. Um because God is good. I mean, it it was just it very much humbled me. Um now I'm this was 45 everything ended. I'm 53 now hmm. and life is my home life is awesome. Yeah. Finances are good. I mean, nobody's ever I'm not back to where I was. <laughs> I don't sure. need to be back where I was. Hmm. I, I like who I am now.
3: Yeah, right. And
4: it was just, um, so basically mm. I went from a small little place in West Virginia to having a big house with Cadillacs and Mercedes and all this stuff, Right. and I wasn't happy at all. Wow. And then crashed, and it I, I can say it's the best thing. I, I was blessed to hit bottom wow. is the best way I can explain it. So when people, we just off the air just a second ago- I explained to uh, Brian and Ian, when you call me, I I will talk to you. I always felt, you know, if you were to call me before and you were in bankruptcy or, you know, you didn't make $150,000 or right. you did. It was like, you know, why am I going to waste my time with you? Yeah. Mm. I get it now. Right. I talk. To everybody, I might talk to you too much. But um, I really—if you need any assistance with this stuff—and we're, we're not promoting the mortgage stuff right now—but I just want to know you to know. Right. I mean, I am. A, there is a person behind this, and my story I think is kind of cool.
3: Yeah, yeah. The, it um, feels like the bottom dropping out is part of what like gave you this heart of yeah, compassion, yes, like having absolutely. been there yourself. You, you, you're like, oh, oh man,
4: oh man, when I mean, you didn't know which Job, way it was up, right? Job, yeah,
3: right.
4: <laughs> dude, I I was there. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was it was. It, it was scary, yeah. humbling, and now you look back, mm-hmm. and um, it's like, parent, you tell your children things. Mm. I still have my nephews, who are in their mid-30s now, who have children. They're like, Uncle Dan, dude, you're Nostradamus. <laughs> <laughs> Everything you tell us comes true. And it's crazy, because you know now I look back to the path that brought me sitting in this chair today. Yeah. And, it's cool. That's awesome. I mean, it just, it was, so that, that's basically the story behind, I've done story. mortgages for 30 years. It's all I know how to do. Yep. It's all I really want to do. Yeah. And I really like helping people. That's awesome. And, um, you know, that's, so that's, that's it. Thanks for that's sharing that. That's a great
2: that was story. fantastic. Well, we do want to take some time with a couple minutes we have left here. Uh, remind our people, like, uh, who should call you? Like if people are what? If someone's sitting yeah. out there going, you know, I might want to buy a house, or I do have mortgage questions. Or I have Talk- questions, right, in, gen- know, in general, right? Yeah. They, they, Who should call it you? Was,
4: I, had, I had lunch with a friend of mine just now, and they asked me that exact question. Who is the ideal person for you? Yep. Probably right now is, you know, a lot of the millennials are looking to buy homes. Right. I get it. It is so confusing. The tough part of, behind it all is I don't have the millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars to spend on advertising. Yep. Mm. So, you know, even my son's like, oh, I just click that rocket thing and apply. It, no, <laughs> uh, you, you need guidance yeah. and you don't know what program it is. You don't know your credit scores. You don't right. know what, you know, there's so many programs out there that can be really confusing. Hmm. Guys, I'm, I make money when your loan closes and the the lender pays me a fee based on your loan amount. Wow. I can ninety nine percent of the time beat the rate that they're giving you and the fees by thousands. So, but again, I don't have the I don't have the advertising dollars yeah. behind it. So basically, it would be a, a first time home buyer okay. or a home buyer in general, or you know anybody. Yeah. You know, if you're looking for a mortgage, a jumbo mortgage, a reverse mortgage, anything, I try to pride myself that I know what i'm doing i don't like i always tell people if you're going to sell something you better know what you're selling yeah right and that's why i try to know everything about it can i you might be able to stump me if you do god bless you but i'll find the answer for you and that's get right awesome. back to you that's so awesome. hopefully that was a long breathed answer but hopefully that answered you yeah, no that's helpful man Remember
2: someone describing being a pastor as just being a salesman and not, when you say that it's like i know that's a weird way to put it but you want to sell what you love <laughs> yeah right and so yeah. i, right. I, I mean, love doing best. this yeah. yeah we I, can show, show, yeah. it yeah. shows getting the know to talk to you well Again, that's Dan Frio. If you want to call him and talk to him, you could do so at 630-338-1160. If you notice, everything's 1160 yeah, with him. That's which is, right. Uh, Smart. So 630-338-1160. And again, you'll talk to Dan if you call him. And as you and I have gotten to talk to Dan, it's just fun to talk to Dan. So. Yeah, you really you are you a really <laughs> <are laughs> good <laughs> I appreciate it or a lot. Or you can visit his website at 1160mortgage.com. That's 1160 mortgage dot com. Dan, thanks so much for coming in, man. Let's you do this again. Awesome. You Always a pleasure, man. All right. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Dan Frio joining us here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can find us at Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Old shows you can find them online at 1160hope.com or anywhere uh, that you find your podcasts. And starting this week, you can start texting the show. You can text us your comments at 68683, at 68683. Then type in CG so that we know that it's for The Common Good and then you just put your comment there, your question, uh, your ideas, whatever else you might have. This is another way for us to interact with people uh, who are listening to the show. So we would love to meet you on Facebook, over text, however else we can interact with you. Well, Ian, we came across just kind of you and I, uh, we both hire people at occasion. And uh, and we both thankfully have been hired on occasion. <laughs> and yeah. there's this great, uh, a good blog post here about um, what is it that bosses are looking for primarily uh, when it comes to the people they're hiring, and it talks specifically about millennials and uh, why they're getting fired and what they may be learning in school and not learning. And it comes down to this idea of essential skills versus soft skills, and that maybe in our schooling, we're focusing on one when maybe we need to be focusing a little bit more on the other.
3: Well, and the the headline is what caught my attention. It says, stop calling them soft skills. They're essential skills. And so the story kind of opens up talking about some of the plight of millennials and where they're professionally deficient, uh, mainly in terms of, like, decision-making, yep. collaboration, critical thinking. And they're saying, so we're seeing more and more of this trend and, you know, what typically is sort of identified as essential skills, at least in, you know, um, In school systems, you know, English, math, science, history, algebra, all that that kind of stuff, all this other stuff, this decision making, critical thinking um, are talked about as sort of soft skills, sort of non-essential skills. And and so part of what this author is asserting is um, they're as important, if not more so. And I and it made me think, again, how grateful I am for my parents, because, you know, I've mentioned I was homeschooled. And what I didn't realize was that in high school, when my friends were learning certain things that I wasn't learning, I was panicked, like terms and pieces of history. And I just thought, oh man, like I'm going to be lost forever because (laughs) they're learning stuff I'm not. And I remember my mom sitting me down in with so much wisdom saying, it's actually less about what you know and more about knowing how to get the information that you need. And that little nugget, thankfully at like 17 stuck because I didn't really realize, (laughs) I didn't know what she was talking about. All I knew is my friends were learning stuff that I didn't know. Those skills that they taught us, you know, both overtly and just as a family culture, in so many ways, served me served me more than I ever could have anticipated. And yeah. we've kind of talked even, you know, as pastors, a lot of times uh, we're trained a little bit in an ancient language, in hermeneutics and exegesis, but like no one ever taught us how to run a staff meeting, yes. or how, a to ca- how to cast physio, any yeah. of us. In fact, like mega props to my alma mater, Judson University, after I had been in ministry for a few years, they called me up and said, we want to develop a masters of practical theology. That's really good. Could you help us, underst- help us understand what you wish you had known that you now know ten years out? Yeah. And they developed a degree program based on that kind of information. What What would pastors really actually need to learn to pastor a church? And so yep. this this author I think is saying, "Hey, let's stop dismissing these skills of critical thinking and collaboration as non-essential, yep. as secondary." They're,
2: they're as core as everything else. Yep. It was the first part of that syllabus, like, find the greatest coffee shop in the, in the container. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah no, that will be your office. <laughs> for every pastor. <laughs> right, right. I know for me, when I, I can remember in high school, so there come times in high school and college where you look back, looking back now, and you're like, man, I really wish instead they had given me some really practical stuff. Um, it doesn't mean that these quote-unquote essential things like math and algebra and all this stuff aren't important in science. But I remember I was taking a French class in junior year of high school, I believe. And my best friend was also in the French class until he was failing. Hmm. And the teacher was just like, listen, instead of having to fail you, why don't you drop the class? Right, right. And so he dropped the class and went from French to the auto mechanics class that they offered at our high school. Hmm. And I remember being like, auto mechanics class, what, whatever. Uh, what he learned in that class versus what I learned in French class was so much more practical and I learned it the hard way because yeah right uh, later that semester I was driving him home from school and I blew a tire <laughs> That's and amazing. I did not know how to tire, t- change it and he, I'll never forget he was changing the tire He goes how's French class going <laughs> <laughs> and it does remind me because even in college like I do wish that that you know I could have taken a class in college that was just called uh, you know being an adult <laughs> yeah right here's how you budget here's how you read your bills here's how you know and I know that you're probably people out there are probably going well, that's what parenting's for, obviously. Parents, you know, you, you tell your kids this and you teach your kids this. But I also think that there should be the people that we're spitting out of colleges yep. need to have the ability to hold a job. So mm. what are, that's what this article is getting at. What are those skills that will most allow you to be effective and hold a job?
3: Well, let me, and let me just read a little bit from this because it's, it's written so well. It says, yep. young adults struggle with confidence. I wonder if having kids take roughly 112 mandatory high stakes tests between kindergarten and senior year, tests that only measure a sliver of who you really are and what you're really capable of, but are the deciding factor for your future has anything to do with it. That's awesome. People are often fired for not having vision, for thinking they're just a cog in a machine. For many students, that's what school is for them. Sit quietly, learn this information, regurgitate it on a test, and then move on to the next level. People struggle to communicate. Well, have we taught them to communicate or are they just sitting in rows <laughs> yeah. most of the time not being allowed to talk? And I get I get that, like, be quiet for a test yep, or yep, yep. disseminating of information. Like, you and I are both teachers to a point, yep. but, man, it makes some good points about, you know, the reality of what it means to be successful in life and then taking an honest look. Like, my wife is a teacher and she could speak way more intelligently to this and why some of these systems are in place. Yes. Um, so I'm speaking a little out of my element, but, like, yeah, vision, confidence, communication – are these again this is the homeschool kid talking yeah, what yeah, what, yeah. what irony I have no idea but <laughs> it, it is a really I think it's a really interesting crucial conversation to say hey are are our systems created to actually help cultivate the types of adults that in culture we
2: celebrate yep and in a lot of ways it's not true so where's the disconnect you know yep yep and I let's do the dangerous thing of spinning that towards churches right are our churches oh, set up in such a way to spit out the people that we say we want to spit out Spit Okay. Can we? I'm, I'm do preaching we want on churches I'm, to spit out I anybody. Be honest, that, I've <laughs> been reading all day. I'm preaching on Jonah this weekend. So I think that probably <laughs> got me. That's where the there. spit out language comes did. from. I think it did. I've just been reading about Jonah all day before coming up here. <laughs> it's a whale of a story. Uh, oh, gosh. So, what do you mean by a church spitting out people in general? Like, what is that? Well, it's the same way you said, we want our schools to, you know, we, if, if there's things that we want our kids in school to have the tools going at once they leave school, then we've got to orient our schools in such a way that, that it Yeah, but schools are, are set up
3: in a way that, that they're meant to graduate. Are you saying that church, churches should be set up in a, as a way to, we want to graduate you to your next yeah. thing too? Or?
2: No, but I think that if we say we desire that, say, they grow, we want all of our people to grow in X. We want to see our people growing in this. Then we've got to ask ourselves, is the system that we've set up, uh, going to grow them in that. So, well, and it, but sort of the a good point. We don't want them to graduate church, not right? Onto the next church, right, right, right.
3: When that, I think that the call here actually fits to both conversations yep. too. It says maybe it's time for us to adjust the benchmarks. Mm. You were even talking about this yesterday. I think the benchmark of numerical Sunday attendance yes. for pastors sometimes that's paramount, you know. Yep. And sometimes even those benchmarks, the ones that we put on ourselves, aren't the healthiest. So, so if people know that Brian or Ian is always going to ask. How many were in attendance Mm -hmm. and what was giving, whether we're teaching it overtly or not, people are going to pick up on like, oh, those are the two things they value the most. Like even being mindful of our own internal benchmarks, I think, is so necessary in evaluating culture and trajectory, which is tough to do.
2: And I think off this article as a parent, it makes me remember there are things that I need to make sure my kids know before they leave my house. Yeah, I got to own that. Totally. Well, you're listening to The Common Good. Coming up next, two pastors are going to talk about a man called the cussing pastor. You're not (laughs) going to want to miss that. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
1: It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes. Our common fears. Our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is the common good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins.
2: Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're excited to have you joining us today. You can follow the show on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can now text us as well. You could text your comments or your questions to 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG and then your comment, your question, or anything else it is that you want to share with us. Ian, you and I both were pastors. I'm uh, a pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. Uh, You are a pastor uh, at Community Christian Church in Naperville. And so we came across this story that had been kind of making its rounds, and uh, we were like, well, we got to talk about this one. (laughs) The What a tease, Brian. The the title simply says this, quote, Cussing pastor defends twerking contest held at church. He told critics... Something. He told them a bad word. You you're not, you're not going to read it? <laughs> we, haven't, we have not been on air for long enough. <laughs> That's
1: maybe why, maybe why when movie. we're
2: a year in here. His name is Thaddeus Matthews, a controversial Memphis pastor, better known as the cussing pastor, for his profanity-laced messages, which have attracted millions of viewers online, is defending his decision to hold a sexually provocative twerking contest at his church. And I'm like, come on now. <laughs> like... I understand we all like attention, but come on. It's this a little is, ridiculous. This is crazy. Yeah. This is nuts. Okay, so would it surprise
3: you, though, to hear that there, he does make some interesting points?
2: Okay, I'm ready for
3: them. Let me at the onset, just first say, I don't agree with this guy. <laughs> okay. And hosting a twerking contest, not not okay. Just, just to be clear. But uh, the piece that I find um, particularly interesting, and again, I don't agree with his conclusion... But he says there is a difference in cussing and cursing. Okay, and I I do agree with that. Uh, an example. So one time, an example. Uh-oh. Here it is. Here we I go. Got the here button. we go. Yeah, get the yeah. <laughs> get the bleep button ready. I had a buddy that I I've been inviting to church for a long time, yep. and uh, he finally came. And so at the end of the service, he comes running up to me and uh, lets loose a string of profanities, telling me how encouraging what I just said was. Like how much that blessed him. Now, his language was very coarse because yeah. that's just like who he is. That's how that's how he talks. Later that night, uh, we had a talent show at our at our church, and uh, somebody was on stage and and they were not they weren't doing very well. And I overheard uh, like two church ladies kind of look condescendingly at the person and then turn to each other and say, "Oh, my bless his heart." <laughs> and I thought about those two different examples on the same day. My buddy in the morning. Was technically he was cursing, right? Yes, yes. Or he was cussing. I mean, he was cussing, um, but he was offering encouragement. He was offering um, accolades. Okay. Later in the evening, they were saying "bless his heart." Yes. But what were they really doing, though? They weren't. They weren't actually saying "bless his heart," right? Like they, they were. I think in a lot of ways, they were. That was. That's closer to a curse. Yeah. I think it has less to do with this four-letter word or that four-letter word, and far more to do with the intent of the heart. I think it's yep. what James talks about, the saltwater, freshwater yep. thing. Like, what, what is the intent behind what you're saying? And I think, I, I don't know that we have enough healthy, intelligent conversations around that topic, to be honest.
2: I, I think that's good. You, you always like to dive it deeper. I, I'm learning <laughs> about you. You pull you're the trying. curtain back and you try. I want to go back to the guy, though, and say sometimes, I don't know about you, like, this has become, like, a thing, to be the cursing pastor. It's like, to be the pastor who's not, like, like all the other pastors, and it just strikes me a shtick. Like it's yeah. like, oh, look, you and I were talking, and the guy will remain nameless, but you and I were both at a conference separately, I think, a couple years ago. And there was a guy who got up from a mega church and he liked to curse. And it like he looked down at everybody else. And he Uh-oh. was like, Oh, all of you regular pastors, I get culture more. And I just think it's it's like kind of shtick and done for like to say, come to my art church. We're so relevant that our pastor will even swear. Yep. And I think there is some yeah, You know, I think I'm conservative and old school enough to say that there is something to being the person who's, you know, delivering the word and the message that there is some decorum. <laughs> yeah, for like, sure. Like, I love to hear the story of the nonbeliever who comes into church and doesn't know any better. Right, right. The guy up front with the microphone, you know better. And I just I, I just don't think there's any place for that. Yeah. In I, the church with the microphone. And it's just to be in my opinion, it's just being done to make a point. And I don't. It attracts a crowd. It totally attracts a crowd. Hey, I go to the church with the cursing guy.
3: All right, let me let me push back a little bit. I am. One, I, know, my, I knew you were going to. My biggest issue with the guy that you just mentioned is the condescension. Like, that to me— Mine, too. And that is sort of the excusable sin, right? Like, ah, oh, well, we're all—everyone's got a little bit of pride. It, it wasn't That's, for me that day. <laughs> right. But that is culturally one of the things that yes. we often kind of sweep under the rug— I remember years ago, Tony Campolo, who is who's certainly provocative yep. and he can be divisive. He was giving,
2: uh, I think it was a talk at a college. I actually think it was. At we, I think I was there. Were you really? OK, I so you know where I'm, I'm going then. You told this story the other day off air to someone. And I was like, I think I was there. So, for that. yeah. So he's talking about these
3: devastating global world hunger statistics. Right. Yep. And they were j- catastrophic. And he says, and most of you don't give a bleep about these kids and the whole room you could just feel it right yep. and he said and the big issue for me is that you're more concerned yep. with the fact that i just said bleep than with the fact that thousands of children are dying of starvation yep. every day and so you're right he was making a point yeah powerfully powerfully so yep. yeah so so guy at conference is making a point and you're not compelled by it tony yep. campolo is making this point and you are moved by it. how do you differentiate then when making a point is worth it now obviously again twerking pastor for me and the article we've blown past him we're past
2: him (laughs) right right
3: and it's it's ridiculous but again later in this interview though he says this and i think all right well that's interesting he says you can't clean a fish until you catch it you can't catch a fish until you go where it's at i'm not trying to attract the traditional churchgoer but those in the streets that need to hear a word from god to make a difference in their lives that's sort of his motive so i think of like a craig grochelle one of their value statements is we'll do everything short of sin to yep. help reach people for Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, Craig Rochelle is about, you know, as middle of the road, squeaky clean no doubt. as, and now he's not hosting twerking parties. <laughs> but, like, do we really believe that, though? Yep. Like, do we, one, do we think Craig Rochelle is right in leading his church to do that? And two, do we think that's an appropriate methodology? Yeah. Anything short of sin to reach people for the gospel, to do things we've never done, or to reach people who have never reached, we have to do things we've never done. Is that a helpful apologetic? Is that a helpful? missiology or is that mm. is that uh, playing with fire
2: i think it's playing with fire you think so i do i do i think specifically for the gathered together time of worship so i think ah, this would be a good conversation we need to have this longer someday yeah i do uh, me personally i would never go to a church where the pastor's on the stage swearing just would never do it sure and do you ask me good do i have a great reason for it Say no I think it's disrespectful and it's it's unbecoming right
3: And plenty of people don't go to churches because
2: they have drummers for the same
3: reason Agreed. and that's
2: their prerogative Agreed. you know I I may be more just putting my cards on the table here mm-hmm. than actually what is right or wrong um you know I I think there is a conversation to be had about what is the purpose of the Sunday morning gathering who's it for yeah. right that right. we can have another day I just every time I know of a guy who's like I'm going to be I'm going to be like swearing pastor guy it just feels like you're just being fake and trying to manipulate people like, hey, we're not an actual church, we're this, and it just feels like trying to And that's
3: what's so fascinating to me about your position on this, is because it seems like your bigger issue is with the shtick, not with the morality of language, but with someone exploiting a particular way of communicating as a means to attract people in a way that feels dishonest, which I think is an an interesting conversation, for sure.
2: I might be completely hypocritical. It would not bother me if we were off air here and you swore. You would bother me if I went to your church and you swore from the state. Which for the record, I never will. Oh, I know will. Just you to be will. clear, I never in a thousand years will. I did share the story that I did it by accident. So <laughs> that's that's true. true. Yeah, tell us that story <laughs> yeah. on air, Brian. What is I that story? tell that story again <laughs> one day. It was, uh, it was the most attention I ever got at our church on a Sunday <laughs> you morning. You probably got so. some emails too, didn't you? I, I did not because people knew it was an accident, uh, but it, okay. Was, okay. it was very funny. So, hey, good discussion. Yeah, no kidding. And, uh You know, I think there's much more in this about the nature of church and the nature of Sunday morning. We'd love to hear more from you. Uh, Keep it clean. No swearing in it, please. But you could text us at 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG and then add your comment. Well, you're joining us today. We're grateful here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can find old shows both online at 1160hope.com as well as wherever you you find your normal podcast, Apple iTunes or whatever. You can also text the show now. You can text your comments to 68683. That's 68683. And then type in CG and then your comment or your question or whatever else you have for us. And one last thing. Uh, last week, Ian and I had the pleasure, the honor, of having the guys here from Cross International. That was last week, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's all starting to blend together. Some other day, not today. You're the one who had the baby. Like, I don't even know. <laughs> uh, we had the pleasure of having uh, the guys in from Cross International. And they are doing unbelievable work. They are seeing, uh, for only $39 a year, you can a one-time donation of $39, you can feed a kid in Guatemala, Haiti, some other places, for an entire year. Yeah. And uh, what we asked you to do that day was to call or to go online to 1160hope.com and make that one-time donation, whether it be for one kid or it be $39 a month. Maybe you can uh, maybe you can afford much more than that and help. You're literally saving the lives of kids. Yep. And we got word today, man, we are like within hundreds, like uh, $200 of the ultimate goal, which yep. we were like, that's a big goal. Yeah. So we're really excited about that. So who's going to push us over the edge? If you want to be that person... Go to 1160hope.com. That's 1160hope.com. Click on the Cross International picture, and there you'll be able to make a one-time donation uh, and would be excited if you did that. So... Not only would you be helping kids, but you'd help Ian and I uh, complete our first ever goal as a show. Win-win. Uh, a much lesser goal. Yeah. <laughs> the feeding the kids? is a, no, no. no, of no, of no. Oh, I got you. I got you. <laughs> We're very excited about it. Well, Ian, we've talked a lot in last segment, all multiple segments, that you and I are both pastors. Uh, I'm at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, your uh, community Christian church in Naperville. Uh, and so... We like to talk pastorally, things that we see, things that we think people struggle with. And I think right at the top of that list, uh, and something you and I talk about often, and then we found an awesome article at Relevant Magazine, uh, talks about the concept of happiness and sadness. And it says, sadness and what eternal hope looks like. I think one of the most important issues facing the church today, and not just the church, just our community in general, but it, it shows itself in the church Is this feeling like that you can't show sadness? Hmm. I, I can't display, I can't acknowledge that I'm sad, that I'm even depressed, that I'm struggling. But somewhere along the way, we've gotten this idea that, you know what, in order to be a Christian, in order to, I must have the joy of the Lord. And we've made the joy of the Lord equal happiness, cheeriness. All of our songs are upbeat and we got to paste that smile on. And if we don't feel it, we go to church with a smile on and assume everybody else's smiles are real except for ours. Yeah. And it kind of drives us more and more into our sadness and our depression. Uh, and and uh, I think it's a huge problem. It's a huge problem in the church. Yep. It's not biblical. I don't think Jesus ever <laughs> taught that way. In fact, he taught against that with mm. the Pharisees. Mm. Uh, but what do you see even as that problem, but also more importantly, what's the answer? I don't have
3: an answer. Um,
2: Well, coming up next. No.
3: (laughs) (laughs) To me, I think that's kind of the whole point. It's not about having answers. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's about creating space. I think um, anybody who's paying attention knows that sadness is there, but kind of what Part of what the story is sort of uh, alluding to is that sadness doesn't sell well, and it certainly doesn't preach well. Mm. Uh, which is interesting because if we take an honest look at you know the whole of Scripture, there's a lot of sadness there, a lot of it. And if you are compiling a book of like you know the, your your best of album, if I was doing that, if I was if you and I were put in charge of piecing together the Bible, um, it's a temptation to cut out the sad parts. But yes. because the Bible chooses not to, and not just the sad parts in general. But like specific sadness. In fact, there are some scholars that even assert part of what Paul is saying in some of these letters sounds like depression. Yes. Sounds like I don't know that I even want to keep going on. Yep. Right. So like we have the apostle Paul who speaks like that, but if someone in our church speaks like that, yeah, everyone kind of freaks out, yep. right? And I and I don't think we are aware sometimes of the passive ways that our church communities don't feel like safe places. Of course, you know, as pastors, we say, yeah, we want our our buildings. We want our communities to be safe places. I don't think it's about wanting to. I think it's about being proactive and actually creating systems of safety where people know theologically, socially, this is a safe place for me to say, hey, uh, my marriage is falling apart and I don't know what to do, or I've been having some really dark thoughts, or I don't know how to get through today. Um, it's not just a matter of saying, yeah, our doors are always open. That's yeah. a very passive. Let's let's proactively say Jesus wept, right? Mm-hmm. The Apostle Paul, Genesis to Revelation. There, there's great stories, there's great language that were, you know, Aubrey Sampson talked about this idea a couple of weeks ago, this idea of needing space and language for lament is way different than
2: saying, Yeah, it's okay to be sad once in That's a, a while, point. you know, to be proactive
3: yep. in how we actually uh, create space for that.
2: Yeah, I remember the first time someone taught on this w- where I listened and they talked about the number of people in the Bible who very well might have been depressed, yeah, and they just weren't. You've made a great point here before, where you said we actually have an entire book called Lamentation, yeah. which is like, yeah, <laughs> right, oh, that's right. a good point. How many of David's Psalms are just crying out? You yep. know that he yep. writes; he's the King David, right? Yep. You said the Apostle Paul. You've got Elijah who's just like, uh-huh. I'm just going to lay here and die, yeah, uh, and over and over again. I remember I preached through Elijah and Elisha, and I preached an entire message on depression and kind of validated it, affirmed it. Hmm. I've never had more of a response from a sermon ever. I'm sure. In my life. That doesn't surprise me at all. Of people saying thank you for from the front saying this is a reality. Um, And it's just, uh, I'm interested the way you said, not just to say, hey, our door is open and to be passive about it, but to be active about it. What are some ways you've seen to be effective to draw people out, to make that sort of culture and community. Do you have any good ideas on that?
3: Well, you know, like our scope um, and influence as pastors, the first thing that typically comes to my mind is the pulpit, Yep. Uh, for better or for worse. Often the pulpit is not the answer. Yep. Um, but I have found not only does it take as a pastor being honest about some of my own sadness. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm amazed even how many times when I've admitted even just a little bit of my own sorrow people really respond to that. Yes. But to, to take even that a step further and to say from the st- whatever your stage or platform is, hey, not only are you welcome here, like we believe that God meets us in our sorrow and our oh. sadness and our, like that. He's near the broken heart. It's not just like, oh, we'll excuse that. Like we tolerate a crying baby in service. It's like, yeah. no, no, no. This is fully a part of, I, I even think when Jesus said, you know, in John 10, 10, we, you know, this verse gets quoted all the time, life and life abundantly. That's usually used as a way to sort of, cast vision for this great, joyous life, yep. but like to me, abundance means fullness, and fullness means height and depth. Yep. It means, man, the mountaintops are that much more profound, but that means we also, I think when we enter into the pain of humanity, we're probably going to feel the valleys a little more intensely, too, and when we, I don't know, when we cast this vision, this idea of following Jesus is just only mountaintops, yep. uh, I think that leads people to really... Unhelpful places, because it's just not it's just not true of the human experience for most of us living on planet Earth.
2: And it's just not true, even in the words of Jesus. Right. Not right. just Jesus actions that Jesus wept or Jesus was sad or Jesus was tired. But, uh, you know, Jesus, I, I get so convicted. One of the spots I get most convicted by Jesus's words is when he talks to the Pharisees and he calls them whitewashed tombs. You know, you you're look perfect on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. And whenever I read those, I'm kind of like, ooh, that's kind of like me sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> like, right, right. And that's also the systems we've set up. And Jesus totally, himself totally. said, that is not right. Like he says, it's not, he doesn't just make that observation to the Pharisees. It's in the midst of saying, woe to you, Pharisees. Like he's saying, woe to you. Yeah, You're right. like a whitewashed tomb. That's Jesus's strongest language of saying, this is not how it should be. Yeah. Well, and I think that part of what this article goes on to say is that
3: it's easier for us. Anger is an an emotion and expression that's much more like socially acceptable, it seems. yeah. Uh, And it says, he says, as a pastoral counselor, I see a lot of anger, but anger is just a fire alarm alerting us to the real problem. People don't have an anger problem, which I would maybe push back on, but people have a pain problem. And that pain is most often unlabeled, unwelcomed, unprocessed sadness. Mm -hmm. And of course, sadness by itself isn't the solution, but insofar as sadness prepares us for hope. Yep. I love that idea of sadness preparing us for hope, and, and and that does create space for us to actually grieve, to not prescribe, you know, proof text verses to make it go away, and also to call people to continue a journey, even if it's slowly one foot in front of the next, yep. like to point to something greater, that the sadness, sorrow, doesn't have the last word. Yes. that even though pain is very real in the here and now, the cross, if anything, declares that pain and sorrow – does not have the last word, and God is leading us somewhere. I just think that's—we can never preach that too many times.
2: Oh, man, that's good stuff. That's good stuff, especially as we start heading towards Easter, right? Like, yeah, no kidding. You know, there's the cross, and then before the empty tomb, and uh, that that is good hope. If you're out there, and you're feeling depressed, and you're feeling sad, we want to affirm you that that's not an unchristian thing to feel. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that you don't have to go back close more into the darkness so that people won't, quote-unquote, find you out. Hmm. But instead, lean into your church, lean into your community around you, Uh, and get the prayers that you need and ultimately allow people to point you to the hope of Jesus. Um, Yeah, we we want that for you. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're excited that you've chosen... To spend some time with us on this Wednesday afternoon. Man, it's actually warm outside today. I mean, rain. Relatively speaking, yeah. Is this where, do I mention again that I'm going to Florida in like a week and a half? I feel like you're doing it just to spite me now. I'm now it's getting close enough that I'm at the stage where I'm just looking at the weather. <laughs> it's true. Oh, 84. That sounds nice. Hey, Eight.
3: your demeanor has been notably more sunny as of late. But I'm,
2: I'm going to come back and tell you, hey man, it was like 62 in raining.
3: <laughs> just lie to me. I'm not even going to look at the weather. So if you told me it was 45, I, I wouldn't even know the difference. I am.
2: I am so super excited. We're oh, driving. Should be. It's you like 20 be. hours. And Family like, road trip, though. Those are the best. Oh, it's the best. We're going with my parents, and we drive all the way down. Like We're driving pretty far down in Florida. And so my kids' spring break week. So that's not next week, but the following week. That's awesome. And, uh, and I'm excited for you, man. I get to do this when you were out when you guys had the baby. Not a vacation. but you guys were out for <laughs> right. a baby. That's right. But having guest hosts in oh, and yeah. doing fun stuff. So we'll talk to you guys more about that. we got a company. bunch of surprises
3: coming, too. We have some really cool surprises. guest they hosts.
2: Don't do it too well, though. Like, uh, I wa- no I wa- no I wa- promises, I, wa- I want to be welcomed back.
3: Some of these possible guests are real rock stars. This, some this... of these people are be like, hey,
2: just <laughs> hey, Florida, keep it up, <laughs> man. Right, go vacation right. somewhere. Come, come back whenever you want. Do you ever worry about that when there's like you go away at church and like there's great people filling in for you from your staff or whatever? Well, and constantly. Like, like, just don't be too yeah, good. And then you come back and everyone's like, they were awesome, and you're like, how awesome! <laughs> you are a words of affirmation guy, aren't I you, man? Oh man, aren't I awesome as well? Ah, <laughs> uh, that's funny. So you and I both have kids, and we were both youth pastors. I think there's something I'd love to talk to you about that I think is right up our alley as pastors, as former youth pastors, and beyond that as parents. Yeah. And I'm in the I'm in the midst of this right now, but you're going to be in the midst of it before you know it. And that's this: How do you talk to to the youth? <laughs> I'm telling the old guy. <laughs> the youth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> How to, don't talk to them that way. Yeah. How do you talk to? Now I must said young people. Now I've got it all. Yeah. yeah How do you uh, talk to people who are of the younger generation? That about, was not better <laughs> about doubt. Yeah. How do we talk to them about doubt? Because an important thing for the high school student, the college student, the person right out of college to be truthful. The important person for every believer is this concept of doubt. Yeah. In uh, that we do an enormous disservice to people when we say good Christians never doubt. They can't doubt. But I think it's important across the board, but particularly at a young age, because they're just learning all of this stuff. And a lot of it's confusing and hard. And then when we shut down doubt, they're like, oh, well, I'm just not, if I can't figure out the answers and can't ask about the answers, then I don't want any part of that. What do you... um, I'm asking you a really broad question here. But... <laughs> Just give me your thoughts on doubt and the role it plays in a growing faith, particularly for our kids, but yep. also across the board. Well, and I, I wasn't going to reference the
3: article, but there's so many good soundbites in this. I that's just, great. I wanted to because kind of the linchpin statement is uh, it's not doubt that's toxic to faith. It's silence. Yes. This idea that we all we don't have space for those questions. Just keep them to yourselves, like not creating space for helpful dialogue um, I, I I really do think toxic is the right word because it teaches, man, if that's too big a question to ask, then we just don't deal with that. Yes. We just hide that in the closet and that's such a an unhelpful and I totally get the tendency to do it because yep. if your kid's asking really good questions that you don't have answers to, sometimes our own ego gets in the way and there's yep. a a quote by Tim Keller that I've I've often shared that I think lays the groundwork and then the article gets into four suggestions. I'd love to just share what those suggestions are yep. because I think it's really helpful. But he said... Um, He said, a faith without some doubts is like a human body with no antibodies in it. Mm. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask the hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves, listen to this, find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts which should only be discarded after long reflection. Wow. Like what a pastoral reminder. Like, Hey, the point of doubt is not to just get rid of them, but to actually sit with them a little bit. And he doesn't say just live with them. Yeah. He says, but but give them like lean in a little bit yes. rather than just assuming like, oh, doubt, there's no space in Christendom for doubt. So I guess I have to pretend I don't have these questions. The
2: doubt is actually like an open door that says totally. this person is trying to understand this. Totally. This person is trying to get this. I love how they start this article. It's at Fuller Youth Institute, the one you reference this blog. Uh, it's called How to Talk to Young People About Doubt. Yeah. She goes—this author writes, I've been through 26 grades of school, including a Master's of Divinity degree and a Ph.D. in Practical Theology— and my 12-year-old's questions about God can stop me. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I get that, man. Totally. I have a freshman in high school, a fifth grader and a fourth grader. And man, when they ask me questions, I can already feel like defensive. Like I'm the dad and the pastor who's supposed to have all the answers. Totally. And they begin pushing me. And my daughter asked me a question the other day that I had no idea how to answer because <laughs> it was so obscure right. about creation and this and that. And you could just shut them down and be like, that's a no, 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 that, that doesn't matter. Right, whatever. right. Or you just you open up and you go, Hey, that's good. But even as your kid gets older and they start having legitimate doubts, like, Okay, Dad, how does hmm, how does this work? This student in my school died. Like I don't understand yeah, that and no you no kidding. Really as a parent specifically, but then as a pastor or congregate, you just need to dive into those and lean into those. Totally.
3: Well, and so the the section's called Four Steps to Better Handling Young People's Doubts. I would take out the phrase young people. 100%. I think it's just four steps to handling doubts. And this is whether you're a pastor, a practitioner, you're brand new to the faith, or you, you know, you've been doing this your whole life. I, I just think these are four great suggestions. The first is memorize this phrase. Great question. I don't know, but. Mm-hmm. Exactly to your point, right? To your daughter, not shutting that down as obscure or not necessary or not relevant, mm-hmm. saying that's a great question. I don't know, but. Mm-hmm. And it makes a couple of suggestions to follow. One of them that I would recommend is, but. Let's find out together. Yes, like let's dive into this topic together. Let's yep. let's do the let's get coffee a week from now, a month from now, yep. uh, and talk about it. For I think I think that's such a powerful that's a good suggestion. One.
2: That's a good one. The number two, I love this one. She says, "Preserve the relationship at all costs." Yeah, uh, as people gain their intellectual wing, especially young people, and become more abstract thinkers, they notice more of our world that doesn't quite add up. Uh-huh. This means they have new questions and they're asking things like, "Will my faith community be able to handle my doubts?" The author writes, I long for the church to be the first place young people go with their tough questions to God, but they will only head in our direction if they know we will not reject them no matter what. Do you remember uh, one of our very first shows? Do you remember our first caller, my old pastor, Kelly Brady, called in and he said something to the effect, I'm going to get this wrong, but he said, he said to his kid when he was in high school, even if you don't believe in Jesus, I'm still going to love you. Totally. I remember him saying that, being like, that makes sense, but what in it, what a, what a deep thing to say to your kid because now your kid can go I can ask my dad anything and he's going to love me and I
3: think it's more important now than ever to keep that I think a lot of us maybe feel that way but we don't articulate it often enough and I think young people real or otherwise are sometimes perceiving like that. this is not a safe place to ask these questions number three connect young people and I would add the parenthetic everybody with other resources the good news is you don't have to act solo you can integrate the wisdom of others into your ongoing conversation for example not to quote Tim Keller again he's got a great book uh, it's called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Yes. I've bought that book for people because hes I just think he speaks so much more intelligently so about good. what's happening when I'm wrestling through these things that I want to equip people with that. And it, it's okay— to point to other people who have way more experience in these areas, you're not less of a person or a Christ follower because yes. you can't answer every obscure question about peop- about people's doubts.
2: Yeah. And speaking of that, the last one this author says is pay attention to your own doubt. Oh, that's so good. That amazing spiritual leaders, they, listen to this, ranging from Martin Luther in the 16th century to Mother Teresa last century, uh-huh. have had their own internal questions. What if doubt isn't a sign of spiritual immaturity we need to suppress but doubt is instead a sign of curiosity, growth, and exploration that we can engage. And that if I can go to my teenager totally. or you could go to the congregant at your church and go, you know, I have doubts too. And you're like, What? <laughs> I know you're my dad, you're a pastor, you yes. have doubts too. Okay, now I feel a freedom to express them to you. Totally. Because we can almost we're almost on the same footing. Like, hey, let's wrestle with these together. I
3: can't tell you how encouraging it's been when mentors in my own life, when I've in honesty expressed some of these things. And they've said, and I knew they weren't pandering. Pandering's different. Yes. When they've said, in honesty, you know what, that's a great question. I've yeah. wrestled with that, too. Like, these are people I was already comfortable with, people I already appreciated. I feel like that just brought it to the next level. Like, holy cow, doctor so-and-so, pastor so-and-so, they they also wrestled with that. And not not just even past tense. Yeah. I think sometimes yes. the tendency to say, oh, I also wrestled with that when I was young and foolish. But now I'm a pastor. But now that I'm 36, <laughs> yeah, like— you know what? I've I've had that thought yep. recently. I yep. struggled with that last week. Like, that level of honesty, I think, uh, man, that is just such a wide-open door to to engage, to lean in rather yes. than shy away from these really important questions that I think more of us wrestle with than we often give credit for. Yeah,
2: let's just be honest. Like, everybody in our churches— is struggling with doubt. None of us have the whole Jesus thing figured out, including the guy with the microphone or the girl with the microphone at the front every week. That's right. We all have our struggles. We all have our doubts. Lean into them. And that's what the community of Christ is meant to be. That's all why right. it's important to be part of a church. Well, you're listening to The Common Good. As two pastors, we get to unpack these things, but you do know we get to end the show in a fun way. At the, <laughs> every end time. The show. Uh, just some craziness we have found on the internet. And that's how we're going to come back next, and we're going to end the show. This is The Common Good. On AIM 1160, hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160, hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm alongside Ian Simpkins. It's been a fun Wednesday, man, but it's never more fun than when we get to the end and we just do crazy (laughs) lunacy from the internet. Crazy things we found on the internet. Crazy lunacy feels redundant. It does. It does. I I am nothing if not redundant. (laughs) And something that we want to tell you out there is that we've started doing these a new way, and we won't always introduce them this way, but... Are uh, we've allowed our producers, Keith and Josh, to choose these for us. And, allowed our producers. Well, what I mean is <laughs> we've allowed them to go sight unseen on us. So we don't know what we're reading right now. So I don't know if that's a disclaimer to get us off the hook.
3: Yeah, right. Or to just They're do. literally face down on the desk <laughs> right now. And
2: then we flip them over and read them. And so. now that we
3: do them this way, I'm just downright giddy about them. I'm a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. Take a nervous giddiness.
2: So you go first. Here oh, we go. Oh, gosh. All Here right. we go.
3: Here we go. Kick number one out of Texas. NASA saved moon samples for just this moment. <laughs> I don't even know what this means. They've never been exposed to Earth's atmosphere, and for nearly five decades, they've sat untouched in storage. In now, storage? What? Yeah, it's crazy. They're just in
2: storage. That's funny.
3: Yeah. Yep. Yep. Now, now NASA will study lunar samples collected during the Apollo 15, 16, and 17 missions for the first time, the agency announced this Monday. The samples from the final three Apollo missions were kept in storage as an investment in the future, Lori Glaze, acting director of NASA's Planetary Science Division, said in a statement per CNN, these samples were deliberately saved so we can now take advantage of today's more advanced and sophisticated technology to answer the questions we didn't know we needed to ask.
0: The moon belongs to America and anxiously awaits the arrival
2: of our astro (laughs) Will you be among them? That was fantastic. (laughs) I love this. Oh, New Jersey, my home state. Here we go. Show out well here. Brothers use billboards, billboard to get birthday greetings for dad. A New Jersey man (laughs) is fielding a flood of calls and text messages after his sons took out a billboard asking people to send birthday greetings. Chris Ferry said he woke up early one morning at his Linwood home to phone calls from birthday well-wishers who told him they'd seen a billboard bearing his photo and phone number with a message asking viewers to wish him a happy birthday. He said he turned 62 March 16th, said he knew his sons were behind the prank even before he knew they had signed the billboard. <laughs> he said, I'm probably up to 10,000 calls, <laughs> voicemails. And text, his son said he and his brother, who both live in Florida, they don't even live there. That's fantastic. They both live in Florida, wanted to make their dad's birthday special.
0: Are you crying? Am I crying? No, I'm not crying. You're crying.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that kind of reminds me of my birthday a couple of weeks ago when you were uh, kind of downright leading people to call into the show. And like it one worked. of the first callers was my dad singing Happy Birthday, Mr. President.
2: And it's your favorite
3: part of this show's it, history, I'm sure. Okay, here we go. All right. Slovenia. It's always dangerous when we go overseas. Wow. This might be a first. Uh, Woman's hand sawn off in insurance fraud. Oh, boy. (laughs) This is... Have we yet articulated that we didn't choose these? (laughs) Police in Slovenia have accused a woman of cutting off her hand with a circular saw with the help of her family to make a fraudulent insurance claim. Oh,
2: my gosh. That's terrible.
3: The 21-year-old and a relative have been detained and face up to eight years in prison if convicted. The suspects recently took out injury insurance, Paul's uh, police say. That is, ter- that is commitment, though, I, I imagine.
2: Wow. Was that wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Can I not have done that? Oh, Let me go, Seinfeld. I am loving this. Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is next. Flight <laughs> returns because mother forgets baby at the airport. Oh, boy. The incident happened over the weekend when a Saudi a pl- Saudi plane returned to the airport after taking off as a passenger on board had forgotten her baby at the airport. Flight SV-832 to Kuala Lumpur turned back after the Saudi mother told the cabin crew that she had left her baby in the boarding area at the terminal. A video went viral on social media showing the pilot requesting permission to head back to the airport asking the operators who were caught by surprise and were scampering around to figure out the protocol. They didn't know if they were allowed to do it. The operator, after taking the flight number, is heard asking another colleague about protocol. They finally went back to reconfirm the reason for turning back, and the pilot was overheard speaking. We told you a passenger left her baby in the terminal and refuses to continue the flight, they decided that it was an emergency case, and they turned around so the woman could get the baby.
1: What kind of plane is it? Oh, it's a big,
2: pretty white plane with red stripes, and curtains in the window, and wheels, and it
3: looks like a big Tylenol. <gasps> okay, so, Brian, before we move on, I'm going to call you out because you skipped the name of the airport when reading because I'm following along with the same article. What, what, is, what was the name of the airport that this story took place at? I don't know. Yeah. Second paragraph there, last King sentence King
2: Abdul Aziz there International we go. Airport <laughs>
3: <laughs> Alright, right on, here we go Here's mine, haven't seen it yet, South Africa Man is caught by a whale And lives to tell the tale I saw this, yes. Oh my word <laughs> Alright Keep going. I think I'm supposed to keep telling this story. Yes. A tour operator who was almost swallowed by a whale. His name was Jonah. Just kidding. Uh, said the experience made him realize just how small humans are. South African Rainer Shimp had been filming a sardine run. I don't even. Okay. Where gannets, penguins, seals, dolphins, whales, and sharks gather to fish into bait balls. There's like 18 words in that. 2 <laughs> I've never heard together in my life. As he was snorkeling on the surface of the water off South Africa's Port Elizabeth Harbor, a bride's whale emerged and its open jaws engulfed him headfirst. Holy smokes.
2: That's terrifying.
3: Admiral there would be whales
2: here. <laughs> I saw that on the Today Show, you too. You did? The, the pictures are crazy. It's just his legs sticking out of them. Oh, my. Can I tell you Goodness one of the crazy gracious. things about this story? I know Please. we're off the subject here with the stories. Uh, the guy who did this, uh, he has a son. What would you guess his son's name is? I don't even want to guess. Jonah. Of it really is. It really, really Gosh, is. sometimes the universe just gives you a gift. Uh, California. Oh, by the way, I'm going to use this in my own sermon this week. Last week, the, the whale one because I'm starting a series on Jonah. Oh, this perfect, week. outstanding. Yes. California Oakland carpool cheat caught with not one but two dummies in the back seat. Oh. People who are actually carpooling driving the carpooling is a sad fact of life in the Bay Area and probably the world over. But the California Highway Patrol doesn't hesitate to publicly shame people who have inventive attempts to avoid detection, riding with mannequins to create the illusion fellow passengers you could learn a lot from a dummy buckle your safety belt (laughs) Uh, all right you got the last one
3: one. washington state lost dog survives 43 days in the washington state wild oh it's a feel good yeah washington state woman was reunited with her dog after the canine survived 43 days wandering alone in the wild that is fantastic
0: who saw old yeller who cried when old yeller got shot at the end Nobody cried when Old Yeller got shot, I'm sure. I cried my eyes out.
2: I know I did. I Um, cried during Old Yeller as well. (laughs) Keith and Josh, you never disappoint. Those are fun. Well, we're glad you joined us on this Wednesday. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.